Greetings once again to all our listeners and welcome to episode 5 of the CarvaCast. This is a weekly podcast and initiative of the Carver Project. The goal of the podcast is to engage with Christian faculty in higher education and highlight their work. We'll talk about their scholarship, teaching, service, anything else to bridge those connections between university, church and society. My name is Penina Achayo Laker, and I'm here with my most esteemed co-host, John Inazu. We're both faculty at Washington University in St. Louis and fellows with the Carver Project. Today, we are honored to spend some time with Francis Sue. Francis, welcome to the CarverCast. Francis, it's so great to have you with us. So Francis is the Benedictson Carwa Professor of Mathematics at Harvey Mud College, and I've gotten to know him over the years. Um, Fran- one of, I think, his passions in life is to make math accessible and fun, which is a passion that I I admire. I, I don't know if I could ever execute it, but I admire it deeply. And so I look forward to hearing more about math and other things as we talk today. Uh, Francis, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, maybe we could start off just by a little bit about your background and how you came to love math. I remember doing a lot of math uh, as an engineering major. My, my joke with Penny now is now like, I will connect with every single oh, faculty member goodness. with the class that I took. And for you, the class is linear algebra. It was the class oh, that yes. me. I was doing fine with multivariable calculus. And then we got to matrices that were 100 dimensions. And I just, I just fell off the fell off the grid. I couldn't do it. Um, but you're telling me that there are people out there who can, who can reimagine math as fun and accessible for the world. And I think you've, you've started that work in a brilliant way. So tell us how you, how you came to this passion of yours. Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I guess I, uh, when I was a kid, I, my, my parents sort of nurtured this, uh, interest in, um, in math, I, I guess I, I was attracted to uh, uh, the patterns that you often encounter when you're learning math for the first time, and uh, and my parents were not, you know, necessarily into math at all. But my dad was a a, a, a college professor of political science, actually, uh, and uh, so he would go to the library and bring home books that he thought I might be interested in, and so that was one way for me to see that math was a little bigger than just the, um, the arithmetic that I normally, uh, you know, normally encounter. Um, I, I think, uh, people's experience of math really varies depending on what kind of, um, experience they've had in, in, uh, their educational background. And, uh, and, and, you know, one thing that I, I think is, is hard for people to see often is the, the, the playful side of mathematics, you know, the, the exploratory side of mathematics, because, you know, often people think of math as just a bunch of things that you do to, to calculate and get an answer. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think I was fortunate in that I had parents who supported my, my interest uh, by uh, giving me enriching uh, things to look at. And were you at that at that age able to connect the dots and know that what you were engaging with that these patterns that are also so beautiful that they were math or yeah. I'm trying to understand. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, of course, as a kid, I wasn't reading you know college textbooks or anything like that. I was just <laughs> uh, I was just uh, learning to you know learning to look at um, uh, at uh, the things I was learning and. 
you know, I remember uh, uh, one of my parents' friends teaching me how to multiply by 11 uh, in my head uh, quickly, you know, right? So here, here's, uh, I'll, I'll teach you this trick. So if you want to take, um, let's say, number like 23 and multiply by 11, uh, there's an easy way to do that. You just take the digits, 2 and 3, add them, that's 5, and put that number in between uh, two and the 2 and the 3. So 23 times 11 oh. is... 253. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I want yeah. to go back to school. Really? Yeah. Well, so I mean, so there's something kind of nifty about that, but you know, more than just the 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 fact that you can do it is is the question why? Like why does that work? Right? right. Why is 42 times 11 462? Right? 4 plus 2 is 6, put the 6 in between. Uh, y is uh, 11 times 11, 121. 1 plus 1 is 2, put the 2 in between, right? So, you know, there's a pattern here. And, uh, you know, part of the mystery and, and uh, the marvelousness of math, I think, comes from trying to, to uh, understand, you know, once, so first you find the pattern, and then, you, and then when you see why it's true, it, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of mind-blowing. And then, then, of course, you can, you know, go beyond that, and you can ask, well, wait a minute. What would you do if the two numbers added up to more than a single digit, right? Like, what if I said, look at 47 times 11? What would you guys say? Yeah, there's a little, bit of, there's a little right. bit of a puzzle, right? 4 plus 7 is uh, 11. 11, right? so 11 in the middle, yeah. yeah. So what would you do with that 11 in the middle? It, it probably doesn't make sense that it should be... Four one one seven—that's seven. way too big, right? right. But um, so what, what do you, you do? Yeah. So what, what you find <laughs> is that you know, if you just punched it out on a calculator, you'd find that that's uh, it's actually um, uh, forty-seven times eleven is. Um, oh, I can do this in my head. <laughs> it's you actually find that it's uh, five hundred and seventeen. And so then you're like, okay, I see what happened. You know, that 11, you actually end up carrying the one that was, you know, the tens the place and adding that to the four, right? So it's the front end of the number, oh, right? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. There. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, if you dig a little deeper, you see that when you actually just carry out the multiplication, you know, longhand, like we all learned to do it in grade school, that is really what you're doing, right? Like when you do 47 times 11. The usual way you do one times forty-seven, and there's a there's a forty-seven. All right. And then you do the ten times forty-seven, which is four hundred and seventy. And so, in effect, you're adding four hundred and seventy to forty-seven. Seven, right? And so you do, in in effect, end up adding those two middle, you know, those two those two digits together, and then you carry the one. So, you know, so there's and that's not something you can just do in your head. That I feel like if I scribbled. Then I'd get yeah, there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, with a little practice, you can do it in your head, and oh so if you get goodness. if you get really good at this, you can you know you can carry these things to the extreme. But you know, I think what what attracted me, you know, people think about math as like calculating things quickly, but you know, for me, it's it's much more the fact that you can calculate it quickly is tied to understanding, you know, the patterns that you have, right? Like, there's the, the trick here is. You know, there's 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 math behind the tricks that I think is just makes it kind of nifty, right? So, you know, you can go pretty far with with little tricks like this and and learn to do you know number crunching in your head, you know, multiply 
two or three digit numbers in your head if you if you get good at it. But I wouldn't want people to come away thinking that math is just about calculating things fast. I think it's it's more about being creative, employing lots of different strategies. You know, there's lots of ways that I could calculate, you know, 47 times 11. Uh, and part of what you're doing each time is engaging in that creative act of, of choosing a tool uh, to use and uh, and then applying it. Uh, you know, I love, Francis, that even uh, even in your voice, we can hear hi. the passion behind the example. And um, I, every time I've spoken with you in person, I've, I've detected the same uh, just sort of joy about creativity in math. And uh, you, you have a new book out. We'll talk about it in a moment. The title is Mathematics for Human Flourishing. But I just want to you read now some of the words from the endorsements on the back of this book. Mm. Keeping in mind a book about math, beautiful, <laughs> deeply human, sublime, a celebration, delightful, lyrical. I mean, that, that, that's so remarkable in, in tied up in the person of you to be able to bring mm. this beautifully human element to math. And I mean, we even just, we just witnessed it in, in hearing your description of these uh, of these calculations. So maybe share a bit about just how you come about come at math through this creative and inquisitive, and it almost sounds childlike the fascination sure. with it, right? Mm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I I guess yeah. There 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 is definitely a deep deep um, mystery that you know if you if you find yourself. Uh, attracted to mathematics and and I would wager that most people would be in fact attracted to math if they actually saw some of the the, the human sides of it um, you realize that that there is uh, you know it's often a mystery that you're trying to uncover right so that that sort of a appeals to the deeply human desire to explore uh, or the deeply human desire to to play to play with ideas uh, to, um, uh, you know, approach, I guess, learning, uh, with an attitude of, uh, inquisitiveness. Um, you know, one of the things I, that I often appeal to, uh, and I think it's part of what makes teaching mathematics, uh, fun and interesting is, is helping, uh, create a sense of community around asking an interesting question. Right, so if, if you if you can nurture a community that values asking questions, then people won't be shamed for asking what what others might think of as a silly question, right? And if you're a researcher in math, you realize this is actually something that's part of at the heart of doing research, and, and this is true in almost any discipline as well, right? You you have to come at it at the very beginning. Nobody's an expert in this 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 answering this new question, and everybody just brainstorms and throw, throws out possibly you know, far-fetched ideas and, and wondering if it's going to, to stick in the end. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that's the attitude, that's the kind of uh, playfulness, uh, that's the kind of um, community spirit that I think um, people don't often see in math because uh, that's just not been their experience. Um, yeah, so I mean, so part of that, I think what I, what I am, I, I try to do uh, uh, often is help people see that math is really, you know, as much as it's a uh, 
people think of it as a bunch of facts to learn or, or memorize. It's actually more about a, a lot of human um, uh, human elements and human interaction. There's, there's a deeply cultural side to doing mathematics that is, uh, I think, often missed. I, I can completely attest to that. Um, and just in hearing you talk about why math is beautiful, can be beautiful, is creative. I am in a creative field. Uh, I'd like to think that as a graphic designer, we're in a field that thrives on on problem solving, on mm. not having mm-hmm. the right answer, on not having one answer, on inviting multiple perspectives to the table, mm-hmm. brainstorming. Um, and I would never have thought of math that way. My experience mm. with math has been it's recitation, it's memorizing, memorizing yes. efficiently. And, yes. and the minute an equation doesn't spit out the right answer, then you're doomed. Yes, I right. Never, <laughs> I, I never, I always asked what I did wrong to the equation to make it not work. I never ever once asked, how else can this be done? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, ugh. I, I like your um, I, I like uh, the way you talked about graphic design uh, and and maybe one way to think about math is that it is um, in some ways doing math is like graphic design in that you uh, are designing strategies for solving mm-hmm. problems mm-hmm. right so so yes maybe you know in math often there is an answer if you ask a very well defined question. But um, there are many strategies that you might employ, and some of them are probably better or more interesting or more beautiful than others. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, but then in, in other kinds of math, actually, there isn't, it's, isn't often clear that there's a single right answer, especially when the, the problem mm-hmm. is ill-posed and mm-hmm. not well-defined. And, and part of doing math is actually figuring out how to clarify the question so that it can be answered but the process of clarification you know that could happen in many different ways right if you, if you think about um, you know the current efforts to try to model what's going on with coronavirus uh, there are lots of different people employing lots of different models to try to understand what's happening right so here that maybe the 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 question is not so uh, well posed until you until you um, until you make certain assumptions. But many you know people can make slightly different assumptions and get you know slightly different answers as a result. So there's something very very organic about uh, doing math mm-hmm. when you're doing it uh, properly. Yeah. yeah, that resonates so much with uh, the experience that Penny and I had teaching together. This past spring, as we brought together the disciplines of law and design and and really learn from each other about the importance of framing the right questions and figuring out if you have the right questions and then being open to different ways of, of searching for the answers. And it was it was such a fun experience. And everything you just said just resonates so deeply with what we felt, or at least what I felt. I don't yeah. know about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. And I just want this to go on the record, John, that Francis mm-hmm. said that math and graphic design 
<laughs> quite similar. Okay, so there's a connection here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I we, just I just want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> These are three part class now. <laughs> All exactly. race, design, and math. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, Francis, I'm curious. Do you have a favorite class to teach, and and why? It's funny you should ask that question because uh, uh, one of the things that one of the classes I really enjoy teaching is linear algebra, which is the oh, no. the, <laughs> the course that uh, that John uh, I know was uh, was um, so uh, so uh, traumatized by. That probably traumatized is a strong word. At my lowest grade in college, so trauma. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think linear algebra is, I think, an interesting class to teach because uh, it's it brings together two different sides of mathematics. You know, one is is geometry, you know, the thinking about um, objects that are, you know, geometric and often involves thinking spatially or, or pictorially. Uh, and it brings together algebra, which is, you know, often people think of that as something that you you know, symbol manipulation or computation of various kinds. Uh, and and I, I think that beautifully captures what it is that makes math, I think, in, interesting and powerful is that, you know, you, you hear you have two different sides of mathematics being brought together and and you see some of the, hopefully, if, if uh, your course was a, a good course, you see how the two sides of thinking intertwine and you know, one of the ways I like to think about al- uh, linear algebra or, or sell it to my students is that it's, it gives you the power to see uh, the unseen. You know, there's um, a sort of hidden patterns that, for instance, uh, emerge uh, when you look at data carefully. And often linear, al- linear algebra brings uh, together tools that allow you to, to see patterns by thinking about, you know, data in some high-dimensional space. Uh, you know, you might be- begin to see things that you weren't able to see before, right? That's part of why search engines are so effective is that um, they're basically employing linear algebra to help uh, see patterns in, uh, you know, search uh, data. Um, or, you know, like if you, we have voice recognition software now that, that works amazing or, you know, in, 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 or even, um, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of mind blowing how how much uh, how far that technology has come. Well, that's you know that's using a lot of linear algebra. You know, it's sort of looking at it, at the, the likely inputs, the likely outputs, uh, viewing them in some high dimensional space, trying to attach some hyperplane to uh, to fit the data. Uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of nifty that you can employ such tools, and then of course it looks like magic in the end. Man, as you're talking, I'm thinking for more attention in the 90s. I could have made it big. Could have made it big. Well, you know, some of my students have done that. You know, like I, when I was teaching, started teaching as a professor in the in the late 90s, uh, the, the the you know there was uh, uh, some of my students actually ended up being the first employees at you know Yahoo, Overture, Search wow. Services, Google, things like that. <laughs> You know, as you're, as you're talking through some of these connections, Francis, I'm 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 seeing, uh, particularly with sort of a, as you talk about visualizing the unseen and exploring the unknown, mm-hmm. that there's some natural. And I've 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 thought about this uh, with math for a while, even in my sort of uh, very unsophisticated understanding of math, that you reach 
limits quickly and and uh, and it points towards something greater than even ourselves. And so I wonder, mm-hmm. uh, there are some naturally fitting connections there to faith, but I wonder how you have explored those in your own work and uh, particularly integrating your Christian faith with your research and teaching, how, how, how you marry those connections or not, how, how it works out for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I guess um, one of the things that uh, I think my faith has, uh, has taught me or, or certainly shaped me is in uh, thinking about um, uh, issues of uh, justice and fairness and things like that. So some of my research is related to questions in the social sciences about um, how you divide things fairly. So this in mathematical economics, the, the topic is fair division. How, how do you cut a cake fairly? But cake, you know, it could be anything. It could be uh, an estate you're trying to divide among several parties. Uh, it sort of relates to some questions in, in, in law, I imagine. Um, so there's people, a lot of people are interested in this, economists, political scientists, but as a mathematician, you know, I'm interested in sort of, you know, some of the, 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 the questions that relate to, well, what does it mean to divide something fairly? Well, you have to establish some, some kind of value system, and that valuation then is a mathematical object, uh, and you have to decide what it means to cut the cake, you know, certain divisions are possible. And so, you know, what ends up happening with this question that seems like it comes out of economics is that it's actually a mathematical question. You know, it's a question where you look at the space of possible ways to divide a cake, and that turns out to be some abstract high-dimensional space. And then uh, searching for a, a division that's fair, and of course, you have to quantify what you mean by fair, but that turns out to be a point, you know, a special interesting point, hopefully, if you can locate it in some you know, in one of these abstract spaces. And so, you know, if, if I'm at a, you know, I'm talking to mathematicians, I would say I study geometric combinatorics, which is a fancy way of saying that I look at geometric objects and I count things on them. But if I'm at a, you know, if I'm at a, uh, at a, a cocktail party, uh, I probably would lead in with the questions from the social sciences about fairness and fair division. So, so yeah, so that's uh, that's not a direct tie, you know, tie into my faith, but certainly faith is my faith has certainly gotten me more interested in in mathematical questions that have something to do with how people um, behave or interact. Right. Yeah. yeah, and not forcing an artificial division between the two, which is a common move in a lot of disciplinary efforts to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, what and I love then, too. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go ahead. No, please. <laughs> I was going to say, like, what I what I loved in listening to you talk was I was paying attention to um, how you were along the way pausing question after question, question in response to a question. So, you know, what does it mean to divide the things fairly? What does fairness mean? Yeah. You know, and 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 I I feel like in doing that, in some ways, it's it's you also giving access to multiple perspectives that you're able to see economics sort of have you know a direct link to these questions and law and and so many other things and I think about like how um in a lot of the conversations that are really hard today you know we need to to get into that spirit of uh, asking questions in a way that invites multiple perspectives and opportunities I thought that was really beautifully said 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and that's something that I, I um, try to do in, in my classes as well is, you know, by asking lots of questions. You know, if you can if you can ask the question that someone is thinking, then you then you sort of uh, have captured their attention, right? Or uh, and certainly, it's even better if students themselves are asking the question. So, you know, mm -hmm. making a class interactive certainly is a big part of of what uh, I think it means to to teach mathematics um, in a healthy way. Let's talk about the book. Mathematics for Human Flourishing, just out from Yale University Press. Love the title. Um, I think that I first heard you talking about this book when I, when I last saw you and you were uh, uh, talking about how it came to be uh, out of an address you gave to a mathematics association. And can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, um, well, I served for a couple of years uh, as president of a large uh, mathematical organization um, whose membership consists of primarily of mathematics um, uh, faculty, but also includes mathematical uh, math en enthusiasts. Uh, and uh, at the end of my term as president of this organization, generally you give a, a big talk at, a, at, a, at the national meeting of mathematicians. And, uh, you know, often the, the talk is just a, a math talk, but I, I guess I wanted to, um, to try to, to, to give a, a, a slightly different kind of talk. You know, I thought it would be perhaps a wasted opportunity if, if I just got up and gave a math talk and, and didn't really ask, ask people to think about some of the deeper questions. Like, why is it that we do what we do as mathematicians? And why should anybody uh, care about math? Uh, and, you know, maybe that's in some ways informed by my, by my uh, own faith uh, 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 shaping which is, you know, sort of asking the big questions, like what's the purpose of anything we do in life, right? And, and certainly in mathematics, what you could ask the question, what's the broader purposes of learning mathematics? And some people think about math as just, okay, it's a means to an end. It's just something I do to get a good job, right? That's one potential answer to the question. Another potential answer to the question is, it's um, a math is something that, that is for the elite, you know, for people who do math at the highest levels and, you know, you, you study math to get a PhD. And, and that, that view is kind of, you know, unfortunately, perhaps uh, uh, too um, common among, you know, college math faculty. And, and so, you know, I, I, I think, well, if, if, if those are two potential answers to the question, uh, then of course people are going to be uh, disinterested and dispirited in doing math, right? Like if, if math is all about performance or it's all about getting a good job, well, why, why should anybody fall in love with math at all, right? Why should anybody uh, want to think about or, you know, play with beautiful ideas if, if it just has this utilitarian, utilitarian um, aspect, um, so yeah, so I guess what I did in this in this talk was I, I tried to to point people to larger purposes for doing mathematics. Um, uh, tried to help people see that you know each of us have have basic human desires. You know, if if there's anything we're passionate about, whether it be gardening or sport or music, it's the reason we do it is because it appeals to certain intrinsic basic desires we have: a desire for beauty, a desire for truth, a desire for um, 
community, love, you know, you could name a bunch of these desires. And so what I, what I did in the speech was talk about five basic human desires that every human being has and how math meets these desires. And in so doing, uh, cultivates or builds certain virtues uh, in, uh, in us. Uh, and these virtues uh, stick with you no matter what you do, whether or not you continue to do mathematics or not, right? Like if, if, if I, you know, one of the, so here's an example, one of the basic human desires that we all have is, is um, to, uh, to play, right? And, 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 and one of the virtues that's built up by, uh, by learning, t- by, you know, this uh, appealing to people's desire to play is, is uh, the desire to, um, is, is the virtue of, um, uh, of uh, building um, uh, a communal spirit, right? Like not um, uh, taking a game too seriously, right? Like when you play, Mm -hmm. you often uh, are able to see other people's perspectives, right? Like when you're analyzing a situation in in, in play, uh, and these are, you know, these are sort of things that you learn to do in mathematics as well, like looking at a, a problem from multiple perspectives. But, you know, whether or not you continue in math, you're going to continue in life to, to encounter situations where you have to look at things from multiple perspectives, right? That's a virtue that's built up in a unique way by the practice of mathematics. Anyway, so, I, I mean, that's, that's sort of what I, what I tried to do within, within this speech and, uh, when you're pointing to the importance of, of habits and practices, which, which then have far broader applications from specific mm-hmm. instances. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's, that's great. And certainly in law or graphic design or uh, communications, you know, uh, these, these, there, there are, I think, certainly each of these dis- different disciplines, I think, w- would, would build in virtues as you pursue them through the lens of various human desires. And, and so... I'm not claiming that math is unique in building building such virtues, but uh, I do claim that it it gives uh, certainly approaches these things in a unique way. When if you and if you can frame the participants who are engaging in the practice to see them as virtues, then mm-hmm. you can then you can start to identify good and bad practitioners. You can talk about a craft. You can look at goals and mm-hmm. outcomes. I mean, it opens up all kinds of uh, important possibilities there. That's great. Yes. yes. And it, so it how goes, did you move from lecture to book, and and what what how did you conceive of the book itself? Yeah, well, I um, the the reaction to the speech was actually um, was pretty uh, profound in, in some ways. I, I didn't expect, um, uh, and the the you know the crowd was at, after the talk was pretty emotional, um, and so. Um, and when, when I shared the, the speech uh, online afterwards, it got passed around a lot. And so what ended up happening was I got a book, a, an offer from, uh, uh, from Yale University Press to publish the book, uh, publish the speech uh, in a longer form as a book. And so what I, and what I'd been doing was, you know, thinking as I was thinking through these things was um, thinking, okay, well, the speech ought to, you know, the book actually can't just be the speech. Uh, and, you know, the speech had five themes, five basic human desires. And so the book actually um, considers um, several other human desires as well. So I think there's something like 12, 
12 human desires that the book focuses on. And in some ways, you know, the book is, is, I like to think of it as not a book that's about math. It's actually more a book about what it means to be a human being. Mm. And math plays a central role. I mean, it's certainly the, the frame in which I, you know, I discuss things. But it, it really is an exploration mm. of what it means to be human and how math um, meets those human desires. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a, a labor of love in some sense. It's, uh, it's sort of certainly been a, an effort that, that has, uh, you know, I think captured not just my mathematical imagination, but also helped me to work through um, lots of questions of, of my own about what it means to be a human who thinks about, you know, about, um, thinks about math. Wow. <laughs> so good. So good. And I am much more excited to read this book now because I I can see myself in this book. And it's not yeah. just, to your point, a traditional math book. It's about so much more. Yeah. It's about being human and flourishing as a human. And I, I, I find your words and your delivery um, – of the content to be just not just soothing, but also very contemplative. Like I find myself just mm-hmm. thinking and wanting like questioning and wanting to do better. Even just as a teacher, how can yeah. I foster an environment in my classroom that encourages my students to bring questions to the table, yes, to ask yes. questions, to wrestle with different kinds of possibilities Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's, it's actually been a very almost meditative process for me in, in writing the book because I've had to rethink some of the things that I, I do uh, in, mm. in the classroom. And uh, it's caused me to, to you know, to rethink uh, changing the way that I assess my students, for instance. You know, there's been a lot of discussion this past year about what, what pandemic teaching uh, Mm-hmm. should look like and you know as you may know in, in the spring there, there was a, a, a big move um, you know to try to reduce people's workloads and and also because people are at home uh, you know there's a concern like gosh you know if you just give a ta- a normal exam people can cheat easily right certainly a lot of mm-hmm. teachers have felt that and so one of the things that I have been thinking about and and trying to implement is you know, actually uh, asking people, instead of asking people computational questions, asking them questions about uh, some of these these um, basic desires or, or virtues that are built by the practice of doing math. And, you know, so, uh, you, for instance, imagine a, a math exam where you're asked to contemplate beauty that you've seen in the subject that mm-hmm. you've, you know, over the course of the semester. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions I like to ask, and I asked this this uh, year, was, you know, what can you give an example of something that you found beautiful, and what did you find beautiful about it? Um, uh, you know, if we say that we value students being creative, uh, then you know, why don't we ask them? Why not ask an essay question that reflects on? Uh, a specific examples in the class where they had to be creative. Hmm. Uh, these are not the kinds of questions that normally appear on a math exam, mm-hmm. but 
Wow. Uh, especially in a, in, in a time of a pandemic, you know, it's, it's like, gosh, you know, why haven't we be asking questions like this all the time, right? Like, these are, these are, these kinds of questions are actually very difficult to cheat and very easy when you, you can tell when a student actually gives a thoughtful answer, right? It's like, some of the, some of the, the answers to these questions, I wish I could show them to you or read them to you, but they're, they're just amazing. Like you actually begin to see how I can see how my students think and mm. it's really wonderful. Um, yeah. So anyways, it's, it's, yeah, the, the, the journey of the book has actually shaped me and that's of course wow. part of why, part of why we write, I guess. I, I love this. My my head is spinning now because what you were saying, I, mean, I was thinking so much of the class that Penny and I just taught, and, yeah. and I I think we moved from uh, so much of what you're saying. Where really, when we when we pushed a little more in the direction that you're talking about, we were just um, overwhelmed by the depth of our student engagement, and mm-hmm. we moved away from the formulaic and into mm-hmm. the creative just opened up all kinds of possibilities yeah. precisely because we were in the middle of such a challenging, <laughs> uncertain and new time. And I think uh, it's just such a, it's such a hopeful way to engage with teaching and students. It's very, it's very inspirational to hear you talk. Mm-hmm. We are, um, we've come to the end of our time and we need to wrap up, unfortunately, because uh, I could learn, I could learn a lot if we kept talking. Yes. But I wonder, um, or linear algebra. Lot- <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will. I will. I see some lectures online that I could try out. <laughs> Maybe as a, a last question to you, Francis. I know that you are a, a new parent, and uh, just very recently. And so I wonder how um, the experience of being a parent has caused you to reflect, maybe even further, about your your role as a human being, your role as a teacher in this world. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good question. It's only been four weeks now, so um, yeah, I wouldn't say my my thoughts are well formed. But I, one one reflection I had last night at three a.m. as uh, as I was uh, feeding my baby was uh, just the just the question of of how much this baby is shaped by what I do now uh, mm-hmm. and the and the, the attention and care that I give him now. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Somehow that I, I felt that that had some connection to the, the teaching and the way that we shape our students um, early in their in their formation uh, and to become the kind of people that they're going to be later. Uh, and um, there was something profound, and it, it felt more profound at three a.m. than it does now. But uh, <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> In the middle of the night, uh, inquiries. That's that's right to me. I mean, one way to maybe they are the most authentic and uh, honest reflections. Those two and three a.m. feeding moments. Yes, yes. And one, the common thread that I detected in in your analogy is that in neither teaching nor parenting are we just conveying information; we're forming people. Mm. Oh, Mm. so good! It's been so great. (laughs) to have you with us, Francis. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been fun chatting with you guys. Great. Thank you so much.